So this last summer, I was asked to present at a creative professionals conference within the church. So people that are songwriters, musicians, uh, social media specialists, graphic artists, the list went on from there. And the organizer of the event asked me to present on humility. And I laughed and went, how, how in the world do you do that? I mean, really, how do you do that? How do you present to someone, this is how you are truly humble? and then come across as actually still being humble. Do you remember what happened to Moses? Uh, Moses wrote about himself in Numbers chapter 12. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. He doesn't sound very humble there, does he? Well, it didn't end up working out for my schedule, so I didn't end up presenting there. But as I thought about it, I went, man, if they had asked me to present on something else, not on humility, but more fighting pride, that's probably something I could have sunk into and talked about because we all battle with pride. Well, be careful what you ask for because uh, now the producers on this program have asked me to talk to you on pride. And that's exactly what we're going to do. This week, we're going to have five different lessons on pride, digging into the Bible. We're going to see some really familiar sections of scripture and some that are, aren't so familiar. And here's our hope, to, to shine a big old spotlight under pride to see what it is so that we can confess it then, be forgiven, and move from it. And man, if, if Uzziah, if Uzziah had done just that, how different his life would have been if he had seen his pride, confessed that pride, and been forgiven of it. But he didn't. Uzziah, you're probably wondering who that is right now. This is, of course, one of those lesser-known sections of Scripture. He gets an entire chapter in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And I'm not dogging on him that he gets one chapter. I don't have a chapter. You don't have a chapter. It's pretty impressive what this man did. He became king of Judah at the tender age of just 16. When I was 16, I was trying not to drive my car into everything around. I could imagine being king of a, an entire country. Well, he was. And he did an impeccable, incredible job. He ended up building up the border cities um, around Judah. He reinforced the wall surrounding Jerusalem. He built these massive towers into the wall, and he himself even invented uh, weaponry to launch massive rocks down onto the enemy. He built watchtowers out in the wilderness, dug cisterns all around the country so people could get water. He raised up an army. He well-equipped them. I mean, this guy was incredible. And he ruled for 52 years. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. And then verse 16. So what, what does it say about Uzziah? Well, it says this. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. So why is that a big deal? You see, in the Old Testament, the priests, and legit only the priests, were allowed to go into the temple and to burn incense. But Uzziah, because of all of his accomplishments and all that he had done, kind of puffed himself up with pride and said, no, I can do this too. He pushed God's laws to the side and said, they don't apply to me anymore. And so right there in the temple with his hand, uh, with the incense burner that was there, God struck him with leprosy upon his entire body, over himself. 
The priests hurried him out of the temple right away and that leprosy remained and he couldn't be king anymore because of his pride. Pride gets us to think that God's laws just really don't fully apply to us anymore. And that happens with all of us as Christians and it can happen so easily. The devil, he's so blasted good, so good at what he does that he convinces us as Christians, I've been... I've been really good. I've accomplished and I've done and I'm I'm faithful to God. I'm sure I can get away with this one thing. And we get to thinking like Uzziah did. I mean, look at you right now. You you pushed pause on your life, play on this video (laughs) so that you can grow in your relationship with God. Clearly, you deserve a free pass in order to live however you want to live. Where is that for you? Where is that where the devil has this pride sink in that thinks, I've been so good for so long, surely I can get away with this. Maybe you pour one too many drinks at night. Uzziah went into the temple where he shouldn't have gone. Maybe you click into websites where you really shouldn't go. Say horrible things out of your mouth because I was just mad. And we give ourselves a free pass. And God is truly not okay with it. He wasn't okay with it with Uzziah. He's not okay with it for me. He's not okay with it with you. He's not okay with it. Pride does not allow us to be able to tell God what to do. You know, if ever there was a man in the Bible who might be able to say, you know, I deserve a free pass. I've been so faithful for so long. The person who comes to mind for me would be John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, before he was even born, He was chosen by God to live this special, almost a holier, more rules on him life. And John was completely faithful to those extra rules that were on him. But yet John didn't say, well, I've done so much, I should get a free pass. Instead, do you know what John said about Jesus and about following Jesus? John said this about Jesus, that Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. As you and I battle with pride this week, may that be our prayer. May that be what we remind ourselves with in our lives, that Jesus must become greater and I must become less. When we convince ourselves that we can do whatever we want, no, Jesus and his laws must become greater. I must become less. And when you and I confess our pride, shine that light on it, we're forgiven. As we confess it over to Jesus, And as Jesus becomes greater, our pride will become less. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us this week to be really honest and open with ourselves of how we struggle and how we fail with our pride. Uh, Help us to not think that we get a free pass, but instead that we trust in you, confess to you, and are forgiven you. Thank you, Jesus. As you become greater, our pride will become less. Amen. One of the most famous parables that Jesus has ever spoken has truly got to be the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, there's hospitals dotted around our nation that have the name of this man in this story that Jesus came up with as the name of their hospital. And the reason why, Jesus told the story about this Samaritan man who's walking along the road, sees another man just bloodied and left for dead, and he drops everything to go and help him. 
Did you know in all 50 states in the US, we have some sort of a Good Samaritan law that's there. And it places legal responsibility on a person who sees another person in need that we have to go do something in order to help them. Now, I think this parable of the Good Samaritan is so shocking because of the double contrast that's there. One is pretty well known. One is the fact that this Samaritan and the man that he saw on the side of the road bloodied and left for dead were cultural enemies. The Samaritan saw a Jew and, and they just absolutely didn't get along. But yet he, he put that aside and saw a fellow man, a fellow person in need and went to his aid. The other part that isn't talked about as much is where we want to focus today. You know, this parable could have also been called something else besides the Good Samaritan. It could have been named instead the parable of the two bad believers. You see, before that Good Samaritan gets there, there are two believers who walk along the road, Jewish people who see a fellow countryman left for dead, and they pass by on the other side. And what makes this even worse is these two men were church workers, a priest, a Levite in the Old Testament, and they do absolutely nothing to help. God is impressing upon us to, to learn that he wants us to help, to help someone else when they're in need. Now, there has been a lot of ink wa wasted over the years trying to speculate uh, to figure out why the priest and the Levite didn't stop along the roadway. You know, some people say, well, well, maybe they were on the way to a Bible study, you know, in Jerusalem or Jericho along that roadway. And, you know, if they stopped, they wouldn't have gotten there in time and disappointed them the mass for helping this one. Or people say, well, you know, if they came in contact with them with the blood or if he was a dead body, they would become spiritually, ceremonially unclean, which is true according to Old Testament law. And so they couldn't have served then inside the church. You know, other people say, well, maybe they were just afraid for their, their lives. You know, if this guy is bloody and, and almost dead, maybe those, those robbers are around. And so they pass by to get through quickly. Or worse yet, maybe this guy's faking it. And so if I go to help him, he can grab my arm and I'll, I'm in danger. You know, all those explanations seem, you know, plausible on why they might pass by on the other side. But not for Jesus. Jesus condemns they're in action. Now, what is Jesus teaching you here? It's not that Jesus is saying that if you and I see someone in need, that we have to go help them and put ourselves in danger. That's, that's not exactly what Jesus is saying here, but he does expect action for us to help. Now, those guys back then, they didn't have 911. They could have walked 911 steps or, or whatever, whatever it was to get into the nearest city to, to call and get help. They didn't. Jesus wants action. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had an incredible teaching uh, truth on this particular section of scripture. And this is what he said. He said that priests and the Levite, as they were walking along and they saw that man, the first thought that came to their mind was this. If I stop and help that man, well, what will happen to me? Then Dr. King continued and said, this, though, on the other hand, was the first thought of the Good Samaritan. He looked at this man and he thought, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Do you see the difference there? Of where the self-focus is for these two bad believers and where the love is for others when it comes to that Good Samaritan. You know, that truth is also taught here in, in the book of Philippians. Chapter 2, it says this. 
It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's what God is calling upon us to do, to value others above ourselves, to get action and to get out there and to help, to be like that good Samaritan, as Jesus was that good shepherd for you. As Jesus looked down from heaven, he saw you in this world, beat up by the devil, bloodied and left for dead. He didn't pass to the other side of heaven and go, not my problem. When Jesus saw you in need, his first thought was not, well, if I go help them, what's going to happen to me? Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. Instead, Christ's first thought when he saw you in need is, if I don't help you, what's going to happen to you? And so Jesus walked a road far, far more deadly than the Bloody Pass. That was literally the name from that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was called the Bloody Pass in Jesus' day. Jesus walked a road far more dangerous and deadly than that. As Jesus walked the road that, that led to the cross, where droplets of blood passed from his body, and with each droplet that fell, Jesus showed you just what is truly valuable in this life. And it's not self it's sacrifice. Pride, pride stops love. Jesus' love stops our pride. Jesus shows you just how valuable you are with his love, his sacrifice, his action. And that's what God is calling for you to do. So what does that mean? How, how do you do that then? Well, if you see someone in need, act. And this is my encouragement for you. Point, pray, proclaim. First of all, if you see someone in need, point out that need and make sure that aid can get to that person. And sometimes you are that person that God has put at that right place at that right time in order to get them that aid. Maybe you can physically bring it to them. Maybe you can call it in, but, but point out that person in their need. And then pray. Pray that the, the first responders get there in time. Pray that the first responders' medical training kicks in well. Pray for that person who is in need for their health. Pray for their, the loved ones of this person that are going to be terrorized by what's going on. Pray. And praying isn't just something to do. It's the best thing to do. And then finally, proclaim. Tell the story to many other people around how God put you at the right place at the right time to do the right thing not to shine a light on you, but how God puts us in those places so that we can be that bold believer, so we can be that person who acts. Value others above yourself and see what God does. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray boldly. You're going to put people in need in our way. May we not be like those two bad believers that pass by to the other side. May we act. May we point. May we pray. May we proclaim. May we do, God, what you've put in our hearts to do, to be your hands and to be your feet. Lord, give us that boldness and give us that strength to value others above ourselves. Amen. When I was brainstorming on stories that I could find in the Bible, that could teach a lesson about pride for you. This story, this account, was the first one that came to mind. We're gonna hang out today in John chapter eight, and it's this incredible story of unexpected grace. So here's the context. So Jesus' popularity is growing and increasing, and as Jesus' popularity increased, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, 
their popularity and their power was decreasing. And they were absolutely furious about this. And so they were trying to find any way they could possibly discredit Jesus. So they come up with this plan and they, they throw this woman who's somehow known for adultery in front of Jesus, in front of this crowd. And they say, Jesus, what do you say? This woman has been caught in adultery. She is guilty. She is worthy of, of being stoned to death. Now, according to Old Testament Jewish law, that was absolutely true. And they looked at Jesus and they said, okay, teacher, what do you say? And they stood there and they're all lined up, all prideful of this concocted, conniving plan that they've thrown out against the Christ. And Jesus just says nothing at first. He lets it kind of just set, set in and settle in to the hearts and minds of everyone that's there. And then he speaks. He looks over at these men and he says to them, you who are without sin, you be the first to cast a stone. Jesus knew the trap. He knew exactly what they were doing. Do you know what the trap was? If Jesus had said, you're right, stone this woman, they wouldn't have picked up the stones and, and likely had stoned this woman because the Romans said that you couldn't do capital punishment if you were a Jewish person. The Romans had conquered the Jews for well over a hundred years. So if Jesus had stoned this woman, God's law must be followed, they would have rushed off tattled on Jesus to the Romans, getting him arrested, brutalized, maybe even killed, problem solved. On the flip side, if Jesus said Roman law must be fulfilled, do not stone this woman, well then the Jews would have run over, uh, the Jewish leaders would have ran over to the Jewish people and said, see, this Jesus doesn't care about God's law. You can't trust him as a teacher. And he would have lost then their following. They thought pridefully they had it all figured out. Until Jesus said, you who are without sin, you be the first to cast a stone. Then the Bible says something that's interesting to me. One by one, these pride-filled, anger-filled leaders, one by one, they drop the rock and, and they walk away. And it says that the older leaders dropped the rocks first and then eventually the younger ones did. Were the younger ones full of more pride and so they were holding on longer? Was it that the older ones had accumulated way more sin in their lives? And so it was obvious to them that they were also guilty. Was it because they all knew that this was made up? I mean, according to Old Testament law, in order to accuse someone of adultery, you had to actually catch them in the act. So where's the man? If this woman is thrown in front of them and caught in the act, the man should have been there too. Was this made up? Was this perjury that was going on? And... If they actually were the first to throw that stone, who's actually getting in trouble with the Romans? Not Jesus, but the person who threw the first stone. Jesus saw them in their pride, broke them in their pride. And one by one, they walked away, knowing that they were guilty. See, that's what pride does. Pride is so good at trying to make ourselves feel better by pushing other people down. And Jesus exposed pride for what it was here in this account, teaching them, teaching us this truth. Don't judge someone because they sin differently than you do. Eventually, these once rock-holding, eventually rock-dropping Pharisees, teachers of the law, realize this. Don't judge someone because they sin differently than you do. We're all in error. We all need grace. 
And so we see this as we look now into Luke chapter 6. God says this about judgment. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It is not us to judge. God is the one who brings the judgment. Don't judge someone because they sin differently than you do. These men left with guilt still on them. They forgot this last part. This woman who was in need of, of forgiveness and uh, her life getting better, they didn't forgive. They left not forgiven. Well, after they left, Jesus turned his attention then to this, this woman. And he says to her, well, where are your accusers? And she goes, well, they're all gone. And Jesus said to her, well, neither do I accuse you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And clearly this woman was repentant, that Jesus said that she was forgiven, that she could leave a life of sin. And clearly Jesus cares about sin. He said, leave this life of sin. He could have judged her. You who are without sin, be the first to cast a stone. That's Jesus. I mean, he could have picked up a stone and done just that. Because of her repentance, though, he brought forgiveness. Because God hates sin, he charged her, leave that life of sin. What is that for you? What rocks of anger that you have thrown at other people in your pride because you've judged others because they sin differently than you? What rocks do you need to, to drop and to realize that none of us are perfect? All of us need grace. All of us need forgiveness. And God is teaching you, don't judge others because they sin differently than you do. Lead them to grace. Lead them to forgiveness. Lead them to know just the incredible love of Jesus, the forgiveness that he gives. And when you and I do, we drop those rocks and say, God, please forgive me. You know what Christ will say? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave that life of sin. Let's pray for strength to do just that. Lord God, it is so, so easy for us as we're on social media to just blast other people and to get fired up, uh, fired up about politics or fired up about what's going on in the world and to say some hurtful, harmful things and to condemn other people when we ourselves are not perfect either. We don't just do it on social media, we do it in, in talking at the office or at home or about other ones. Lord, help us forgive us. Help us to realize the error of our ways and to be for repentant so that we can be forgiven in you. Lord, help us not to lead others into anger, but to lead them into mercy. Give us that boldness and give us that strength. Lord Jesus, we ask it in your merciful name. Amen. Different believers in the Bible are famous for different sins, different things that they've done wrong. Cain killed Abel. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. The list goes on from there. And then, of course, there's David. <laughs> David, who had that uh, sinful trio of things that he did, where he had an affair, had a drunken cover-up plan, and then had murder that happened. It never should have happened. There's something that's there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that shows that this never should have happened. A day that David wishes he could take back, but pride was mixed in that had him there. So what's the story? What's this account if you haven't heard this before? Well, David's at home and he's at his palace and he, he looks out over his kingdom and he happens to see this beautiful woman who's bathing on a rooftop. That seems rather weird to us, but it's something they did back then. Water, of course, came on the rooftop. They would collect it. David couldn't help what he saw necessarily, 
But what he did with it, especially, that was the sin. He calls for this woman up to his palace, finds out that she's married, and he still sleeps with her. She ends up becoming pregnant, gives him the note, and then he tries this massive cover-up plan, bringing back her husband who was fighting for David on the front lines. And when he doesn't go home to be with his wife, David gets this guy killed. Again, this never should have happened. Morally, I mean, morally, obviously, this never should have happened. Uh, David never should have taken this woman who wasn't his wife into his home. But 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this. When the kings went off to war in springtime, and, and that's exactly what, what happened in those days. The kings after winter would go out and they'd fight their battles and all the kings and all the army and they would all go. David didn't. David stayed. Pride mixed in with maybe apathy. My army is the most powerful, vicious force that's out there. They don't need me. And he stays back. And those idle hands end up doing some horrible things. And then pride mixed with shame when he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. And then this whole cover-up plan and murder ends up happening. David is famous for this horrible sin that was there. I don't know that you can exactly relate to this story. I kind of doubt you've ever been on your rooftop looking over and saw a beautiful woman doing that on her rooftop and then uh, brought her or that person into your house and then uh, an affair happens and a baby happens and murder happens. I I'm just kind of guessing that hasn't happened for you. But for each and every one of us, we have fallen. Pride causes this abuse of power. David layered lie upon lie upon lie. And, and so have we. We layer lie upon lie when we get caught in sin. We're not quick to repent. Pride covers it up even more. How well did that work out for David? Not too well, right? How well is that going to work out for you? Well, not very well. Because even if you can keep all the lies straight of everyone here on this earth, God knows. And God says this about our lies and our pride of our cover-up. It warns us. This is in Romans. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And one day, you and I are going to stand in judgment before God. And in that moment, it's too late. It's too late for you and I at that point to say, God, I'm, I'm truly sorry. The time for that repentance, the, the time to stop that cover-up, it's truly right now. For David, it didn't happen until Nathan the prophet came to him. And Nathan looked David right in the eye and said, David, you are the man, and called him out for that prideful cover-up and all that sin. And David confessed his sins. And Nathan announced to him, the beauty of God's incredible forgiveness. David wrote psalm after psalm about the comfort that is in God. May I be a Nathan to you, even though my name is John. God says, stop. Be done. Stop the, the endless circle of all the lies layering and then layering and layering on top. End that hurt end that worry that other people are going to find out about it. Confess. Confess your sins to God and you can be forgiven. Talk to your local pastor. 
Confess what has gone wrong in your life to him. Talk to your local pastor. Talk to a pastor Nathan, so to speak, in your area. Who cares about your soul? Who cares about your eternity? Who will be able to announce to you and give to you the incredible grace of God's forgiveness? Because the Lord tells us this. If we confess our sins, God, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And wouldn't it be great to feel pure once again? It happens with that confession. When you confess to others, when you confess to your local pastor, confess and you'll be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord God, help us. Help us to have Nathans in our lives. People who are willing to call us out in our sins and in our wrongs and help us to stop the cover-up game It just doesn't help. It just makes things worse, worse, worse in our lives. Help us to find local churches where we can have local pastors that can be there for us face to face to announce, God, your incredible grace. Give us that blessing and give us that peace because in Jesus, we have it. In your name we pray. Amen. During this week, as I've been talking to you about pride, there may have been a Bible passage you've been just waiting for me to use. It's probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous passages on pride. It's a short little passage. It's found in the book of Proverbs, and it's this. Pride goes before the fall. In other words, pride is going to lead to a downfall. It's going to lead to just problems and destruction that happens in your life. We're going to see that pretty clearly today in two different kings of the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar. Now, maybe you've heard of King Nebuchadnezzar before. Very powerful, very famous king. In fact, the Bible says that all the peoples and tribes and nations around him feared this man. He killed those he wanted to kill. He pardoned those he wanted to pardon. He took whatever he wanted to take. He was the most powerful man in the land. But then he refused. He refused to acknowledge that his power and his glory was actually given to him from God on high. And so God ended up bringing bringing a a punishment to him. Pride led to his downfall. And we hear this in the book of Daniel, chapter 5. But when his heart, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Pride clearly went to this man's downfall. Now, King Belshazzar followed him. Some say that King Belshazzar may have been the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Others say it's longer in the family line. Either way, this pride is running in this family. King Belshazzar now is throwing a a modest little dinner party. The Bible says there were a thousand nobles that were there for this party. Incredible, incredible party that's going on. And as the party's kind of raging and going along, he all of a sudden calls for his servants to bring out the golden goblets that were stolen from the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem so they could drink out of them and party and do things that would follow. Well, God wasn't pleased. (laughs) Not at all. The pride of this man. And suddenly... On on the wall, in front of the people that were there, this hand shows up. 
and writes on the wall these, these words. And the king, Belshazzar, calls in his wise people, his astrologers and soothsayers, and they're all looking at this writing and trying to figure out, no one can figure out the handwriting on the wall. Have you heard that phrase before? It comes from this account in the Bible that says destruction is about to come. It's, it's going to follow. Well, eventually Daniel gets brought in and he can read what's on the wall, interpret it. And he looks at King Belshazzar and says, this is the message God has given you. That your days are numbered and that you have been put on the scales and you've been found wanting. And that your kingdom is going to be divided among the Medes and the Persians. And sure enough, that very night, King Belshazzar died and his kingdom was split. There's a warning in there for us too, that pride goes before the fall. Now, I'm guessing you've never seen a hand pop up on the wall and write something there. If it does, oh boy, that's not good. <laughs> it did not work out too well for the last guy that happened to you. The handwriting might not be on the wall, but the handwriting is in the Bible. And God does give a pretty strong warning to us about pride, our pride, bringing fall to us. God says this in the book of James. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God is going to oppose our pride. As you've been watching this series this week, what pride are you holding on to yet? What are you not willing to let go of? And so often it's an argument. It's a fight that you're having with, with someone else, a loved one, a neighbor, a coworker, and you are adamant that you are right. And sometimes when we're so adamant that we're right, we become wrong because of our pride. And God warns you. He warns you. He opposes the proud. That's terrifying. Until you read a couple verses later. God says this to you, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God loves humility. God loves when we say, God, I have failed and God, I am so sorry. And God, Lord Jesus, I need you. And he'll lift you up. Why? Because he lifted up Jesus upon the cross. He lifted up Christ to die so that you could be freed, so that you could be forgiven. Don't pridefully hold on to that sin. Humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will lift you up. Don't wait for that handwriting to be on the wall. Don't wait for pride to lead to your downfall. Confess and you'll be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so, so difficult in our lives when we are at odds with other people and they are adamant and we are adamant that we are right and they think they're right and man, awful things get said both out loud and in our minds and God, we are not righteous and our pride leads to our downfall. Lord, help us through this program, through this video, through this message of your word to realize it's time for us to confess, to have humility and to confess to you our sins. In Christ Jesus, when we do, you lift us up. Thank you, Jesus, for lifting us up into your grace and into your mercy. Protect us from ourselves. Give us humility and give us confidence in you. In your name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As you were listening today, did someone you know and love come to mind? Well, that's the perfect next step that God is putting on your heart to share this episode. So many people hear about Jesus through the simple invitation of someone they know, love, and trust. 
So enjoy sharing this with someone that you know, and may God bless you as you do.